This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The world's changing. And what are things we can do to, to transform our business and engage our fans globally in different ways? People are using their name and likeness to create more opportunities, more stakes in companies. In order to turn the organization around, we had to turn it around not only just on the baseball operations side, but on the business operations side. Football and any other sport is very difficult, but I like to broaden my horizons and be able to expand sports. You need to be consumed live. And that's a big competitive advantage for intellectual property holders of sports content in the media landscape. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scarlett Fu. I'm in for Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. It is late August and the Olympics are finally over. It's been just a staggering amount of of gamesmanship and athletic prowess and, of course, incredible achievements. Dressel is losing some ground. Here comes the Russian above him in lane four. But Dressel is hanging tough as we expected. And Caleb Dressel from the United States is going to win gold up there in lane five. He did it! And, of course, that was Caleb Dressel winning the 100 meters and that call courtesy of NBC Sports. Speaking of NBC Sports, uh, Barr and Lynchy. The Tokyo Olympics did not do so well in TV ratings. Uh, The lowest or smallest audience reading since NBC began covering the games back in 1988, an average of 15.5 million viewers for its primetime broadcasts and digital presentations each night. Did you guys go home and watch the Olympics every night? No. Uh, (laughs) I I caught it in the morning in real time when it was on. Uh, By the time that you packaged it for the primetime viewing audience uh, I, obviously i'm in the bed sleep because i got to be up for the next morning but I, I caught it in prime time uh but i have to tell you you know are, can we say sweet merciful on the air okay i'm gonna say it do the, it the ratings 15.5 million prime time viewers that's the average but boy that is low compared to the other ones and and i wonder folks if we're saturated with sports and maybe uh, social media has spoiled a lot because back in the day you had it in prime time but I'm talking like 45 50 years ago and you had to watch the prime time viewing because you didn't have social media back then so the first time you'd catch what happened that was it in fact it, it went in 1980 in the Winter Olympics when uh, the U.S. beat Russia. Miracle on ice. Yeah, the miracle on ice. A lot of people didn't know. So they saw that because you didn't have social media. You just you had to catch it then. And uh, it, it was, I'm just wondering now if social media has, uh, has ruined spoiled it. a lot. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that worked against this Tokyo Games. Uh, number one was the time difference. One of the great parts about sports, unlike a play or a movie or a concert is that it's unscripted. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know if that person's going to stand 10 feet tall at the moment of truth or just be another competitor in the games. And you, every by the time uh, most of us woke up in the East Coast in, in the United States, we knew the results and yeah. there was no reason to watch uh, during prime time. And I feel bad for all the athletes 
whose moms and dads drove them to the swimming pool, to the gymnasium, to the hockey rink, and they were not able to come over and watch their son or daughter. And there's nothing, you know, to you nail a dismount on the, on the balance beam and the place just goes crazy and the roof blows off. They had none of that experience whatsoever at all. And this may be one and done from probably the majority of the athletes that were there. So it's, it's really, really hard. It's a year late. There was COVID. Um, you know, it was, in a, it was in a foreign country. And it was just social media just gives you everything that's, that you need. They almost have, need to have the uh, Olympics just, just played in different time zones. Well, you know, we're, we're going to get another chance next year because uh, yeah. Beijing hosts the Winter Olympics, and it's also going to be a 12-hour time difference. So um, you're going to have the same problems crop up again. I just wonder if we've already reached peak Olympics. There are 7,000 hours of footage spread across the different channels and the different platforms. And, you know, the three of us are talking about it as if, you know, we saw maybe collectively combined one hour. Yeah, well, it, it, part of it, too, is I wonder now if NBC... Uh, if they've learned something from this, and, and and let's be honest too, I mean, the whole Tokyo Olympics had the entire COVID-19 shadow over its head. You didn't have anybody in the stands for the most part. I mean, for the yeah. most part, you did. You know, you, you had the 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 most important people there. That was it. Uh, and I have to admit, it it didn't feel like uh, the way the Olympics used to be. Uh, and and again, I go back to the miracle on ice when you know when the USA went ahead with uh, Mikey Rizzioni and it, Al Michaels said it the best. You heard this cacophony of sound at this arena at Lake Placid, and it, it was it was incredible. And you didn't hear that. No, you didn't. Yep. And it's a shame for all the athletes who trained all those years for the games. You know, th- think about going to a buffet in Las Vegas with all you can eat. All right, I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but there's no way I can eat this entire buffet by myself. And that's what the Olympics was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a giant buffet, and you could just take little bits and pieces right here. ABC did us a big favor years ago. They would condense 12 hours worth of action, edit it into a three-hour primetime event. And during the day, and this is something NBC failed to do, coming up tonight, the exciting climax of the woman's 400-meter run. You don't want to miss it. And you didn't get that during the during the course of the day. You said, oh, gee, I'm, I'm going to try to block my ears and not look at my phone and see who won it. Never happened. So there was never any drama. Everything was scripted, and you knew the outcome. Bad producing. You're blaming the producers. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> All right. Another story we're keeping an eye on here. And, Lynchy, you talked about little bits and pieces. There's new betting at the Ryder Cup. So here's a moment that you can bet on this time that you couldn't last year at this time. Yeah, it's, it's in a good position, though. That's the energy that comes busting out for John Rahm. The 11th Spaniard to play in this Ryder Cup, and he has not had a bigger moment in his career thus far. That was John Rahm defeating Tiger Woods in the 2018 Ryder Cup. He didn't officially win it for Europe, but he got them really close, a foregone conclusion, after the win. Um, Mike Barr, would you be betting on the Ryder Cup? <laughs> all you have, that's all you have to say. <laughs> you want to bet on the Ryder Cup? Yes, yep. to all of <laughs> the above, and any question that follows. <laughs> Anything that follows after that. It, it's... And that's the thing. It, it, I, I always wonder, you know, if, if you know, to this to this day now in our sports world, a lot of people have their cell phones, and a lot of people now, you know, they'll they'll go to their spectators on the course, 
and they're pushing in. It doesn't make a difference whether you're at uh, watching a basketball game or whatever, but say that you're on the course as a spectator and you're trying to push a, a bet in. You're trying to see now, well, gee, do I think that someone so is going to make this putt or do I think he's going to make that putt or whatever? And you're pushing it in all of a sudden. <laughs> and, and if you notice, I just wonder now if the, the spectators are going to get a little more rowdy as all of a sudden you see it and it's like before he ta- or she takes the putt, He's like, you go! And, you know, messes up the whole thing. But that excitement when you bring betting to golf or any sport like that, that is going to happen, and I think that's a big thing for the Ryder Cup. Yeah, it's 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 pretty exciting. The, the outfit is IMG Arena. They're based in London, and now they've made a deal with the PGA of America for data distribution in the Ryder Cup and live betting. So, you know, like tennis... Uh, golf is a game of momentum. Guy birdies two holes. Okay, this guy's on a run. I'm going to bet that he's going to birdie or par the next hole. Those things can come right up for you. The data distribution may say, okay, the 17th hole on Friday, this player bogeyed it. On Saturday, this player bogeyed it. So I'm going to bet that he's going to bogey it again because the data that's given me has told me that he has failed to make par on this hole. So you know, it used to be before the event started, you can make a bet who's going to win, Europe or the United States. How many points is each team going to score? Now you can go hold, a hold, a hold on a guy. And especially if you're, if you're on a little bit of a losing streak, you know, you've got, uh, okay, i got four holes left to recoup some of my money right here. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. So, Lynchy, we know that Mike Barr is going to be doing this, but are you going to be betting this Ryder Cup? I may a little bit. Um, you know, I haven't. Um, I, I did bet. Um, I, I, I enter pools all the time. Uh, to see, like in the in the four majors, like the Masters and the U.S. Open, to, you pick uh, four or five guys and see how they do. I've never done an in-game betting in my life, but um, I might be tempted a little bit to, because I play golf and, and I know what happens. Sometimes when you're in a funk and you can't make a putt, you just can't get out of it. It's like quicksand. The, the harder you try, the worse you get. And so, you know, maybe that'll be my intangible. Uh, I'll be <laughs> like, uh, you know, that I'll be able to use when the in my betting. You know, you guys talk about how it'll be more exciting for the game. Game. It'll really rile things up. I, I just kept picturing Happy Gilmore and whatever happened at yeah. that, you know, on the sidelines when Adam Sandler was trying to to swing his his golf club like a hockey stick, like a yes. slap shot. Yes, yes. Or the, or the tar- time he got a little trouble with Bob Barker. <laughs> just a little bit. I'm going to take Barker in the fourth round. <laughs> All I'm going to say is y'all have to Google that because that's one of the funniest lines of the whole movie. I love that line. Hey, Lynchy, I was going to ask you, is this a tax write-off for you, kind of like research? Yeah, I think it has to be. I'm, that, my mind is, is, is spinning right now. It could be a very profitable day for me here with Bloomberg. <laughs> You got to call me. Call me if you're going to do in-game betting. Call me, and then we're going to go through this together. Call me on my house phone because my my cell phone, that's how I'm making the bet. So call me on my house phone. We'll we'll get this going. I'll show you how to do the in-game betting. I'm in. Today, I'm thrilled to say we are speaking with NBA Hall of Famer Kevin Garnett, as well as Gaming Society founder Jamie Messler. So, Kevin, I'm going to start with you because – You've had a lot of great plays in your career, and one of them was against Michael Barr's Detroit Pistons. So let's just revisit history for a moment. Going away by Rondo. Celtics try to run. Rondo lead for Pierce. Has a step, drops to the trailer. Garnett! Big time flush with the right hand. Oh, Theo Radley. You got it, big fella. Yeah, now, I love Kevin Garnett, but this is I the just, cut we picked. This is the audio yeah, we picked. I, I really? Say that. I, I just wanted to say, Mike, I had nothing to do with this. This was all your producer. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, 
I know snitches get stitches. But I just want to start the show by saying I had nothing to do with it, but thank you to the producers of the show. I appreciate it. <laughs> wow, we set the tone really quickly there. You did. Mike, I hope you still like me. You know what I'm saying? I love you, man. You I'm, still putting, I'm still putting back teen on that wound, man, after that. So. Stop it. Let it go, man. It's over. It's over. <laughs> Kevin and Jamie, so thrilled that you could join us today. Kevin, let's just get to it. Um, you've retired after the 2015 2016 NBA season, you're working on different business interests, and something you're working on right now involves a partnership with Jamie Messler and has to do with gaming. Tell us what you're working on. Yeah, we've, we've, we founded uh, a, a, a great platform into uh, betting, and we call it Gaming Society, and our heartbeat is we want to help educate the better that's betting. We feel like uh, there's a bit of, I don't want to say irresponsibility, but That's a great word to be accurate in the betting category. And what we are trying to do is gamify, if not simplify, mixing gaming with uh, sports experiences, uh, mixing betting with uh, professional athletes that have actually been through the, the details and the battles to be able to speak about experiences, not just numbers. In, in, In a nutshell, we're just trying to better educate those bettors that are going out betting each and every day, each and every week on sports. No, I flat out will tell you that I <laughs> I will go and gamble. I am online, and, it, and I will go to the online sites, and I will do this, and and, and I, you know, but I want to clarify to everybody, you're not going to go out there and make a living out of it because there's a very, very, very small percentage out there that do it. But you can bet smart. And smartly. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I asked to to both UKG and and to Jamie is how can you explain that to people is like bet and bet smartly. Well, yeah, I think to Kevin's point, I mean, we just want to help create a more inclusive and accessible platform for people to either learn how to bet on sports or if they already do bet on sports, we want to give them the tools to do it in a better way. Like I think. Even what Kevin was just saying, like having that heartbeat to the data and analytics, like right now, there are a lot of great platforms out there. There's a lot of information out there. But if you're not an avid better, it's going to go right over your head. It's very difficult. It's intimidating. But we want to give people the education to learn how to bet. And then we want to give people better tools to be a better better. Big ticket. This is uh, the other Mike. Mike Lynch up in Boston, and uh, I've been around here for about forty years. Love covering you when you're here, man. And uh, this is really this is how I appell. And uh, I'll never forget '08 and uh, and how close we uh, you came in in '10 out in uh, at uh, L.A. in the Staples Center, uh, game number seven. Uh, But anyway, as you said, that's all in the past. Uh, so let's talk a little bit what your demographics are here. I know that there's a, I'm looking on your website right here, Bet on Women is a big part of your uh, campaign right now. Tell me a little bit more about that. First off, we're glorifying women's sports. We don't feel like it's enough uh, attention on women's sports. I'm sure you guys uh, have been hearing the debates, men, women, men, women. Women are uh, have all the momentum, if you ask, ask me. You know, um, They have very few exposure, and we're just looking to amplify if not magnify women's sports i feel like if you know who these women are you know their sports i feel like you have a better gauge just like majority of sports so for men just like we know the men athletes and we glorify them women are the same 
and we can figure that if uh, we give enough attention or we amplify this and put put a real scope on it in teaching and and and, and showing videos and and having uh, you know just different components that make up the women's sport. You know, I feel like if you if you've ever watched a women's soccer game, if you've ever watched a women's basketball game or anything, um, I've never seen. Uh, women do anything less than what men do. They do it with an effort. They do it with a tenacity. They do it with a professional uh, mindset. Uh, and we're just here to amplify that. You know, that's part of our DNA, not just educating betters, but glorifying and magnifying the women's game. So, Jamie, you guys have announced a partnership with the WNBA Players Association um, to, to bet on women, and it's part of this big campaign. I'm curious, what kind of demand is there right now for betting on women's pro sports from either the public or from the female athletes themselves who, I guess, want their games to be part of high-stakes wagers? Well, yeah, I think, I think part of it is that if you bet on women, you have to know who they are. And to Kevin's point, less than 3% of media coverage is on women's sports right now. So you have to see it. You have to be able to see who these women are in order to know. Um, so what we feel is like as the betting industry is exploding, if you gamified women's sports, it helps you. If you again, if you have skin in the game, if you have, if you make it a game, it makes it so there. It's more interesting. I I did I bet on PGA event recently, and because I had money on it with a friend, we just did it for fun. I was watching it all weekend. And I think it's just that's part of what gamification is. It's engagement. It's social experiences. And so it's funny because when I, at Player Stream, which is the company that I had started in 2014, NECA, who's the president of the women's, of the WMBPA, she wrote an article called Bet on Women. And the WMBPA trademarked it very smartly. Mm-hmm. And so when Kevin and I were thinking about how do we want to, amplify women's sports how do we what's our part of our strategy like well what better way than to actually bet on women and so we did a partnership with the WMBPA to take that tagline and we want to partner with different sports books we want to partner with brands we want to help use it as an opportunity so like if sports books are incentivizing betters to bet on women you know as part of a parlay they'll they'll get rewarded and it starts to create a movement so it's something that we've been working on. It's something we're really excited about. I think that part of it is there are people that already are betting, and betting on women's sports is a great way, because especially when there's not a lot of sports going on, it's also what we're told is easier to win because there's not as many people making bets. Hmm. But it's also a great way to educate people who are learning about women's sports or educate people that are already watching the W to learn about betting in a responsible way. You just use words I don't even understand, like parlay. I know Michael Barr understands those oh, words. Yeah. Sure. Oh, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I agree. That's what we're doing. We're going we're gonna yeah. to unify, and, and, and I hate to use this phrase, but we're going to dumb it down a little bit. We feel like the gaming society, betting is too complicated to even follow at times. So we want to simplify it, help you help you educate and know what the word the, the meaning of the words mean. Everything from a we're even we're even we're even thinking about or not, not even thinking about. We're going to open up a university where you can actually come in and get like a one on one tutorial to better your education on betting itself. Hmm. So this is a true classroom, true learning place, true true platform to be able to better yourself in this in this field right here. 
We were talking a little bit about gaming society and the goals here and how it's tapping into uh, this fast-growing category of, of betting and games and, and doing so in an inclusive and accessible way. This is a content platform, but I, it's also a business. Um, and I'm curious to hear how you're going to monetize this. How are you making your money? What, is the business model a subscription model? Is it advertising-based? To talk about the betting industry right now, it's, it's massively exploding. And I think the biggest um, opportunity for us that we see is building audience and giving you know, content and interesting perspectives to our audience. Um, because you're seeing in this space, some of the biggest acquisitions are around media companies, right? Like Penn National just last week acquired the score for $2 billion. Action Network was acquired for $240 million. And they're just focusing on, especially like the Action Network, for example, is focusing on those core betters. And for us, as we look at the 80 million sports fans who have an interest in betting but don't know how or find it intimidating, we want to give them the tools to do it. So creating social experiences, creating educational experiences, and give them, if they do want to make a bet, they're going to go to the betting academy. So Kevin was just talking about our first vertical that we're really focused on, which is called the betting academy, and it's the way that we're educating people on how to bet. So if you learn how to bet on our platform, then we're going to give you, which we're promotion through to DraftKings or FanDuel or MGM Bet. But do we pay um, for that service, the betting academy? No, it's free to play. But what's happening right now in the industry is affiliate marketing is very, um, they're paying a lot of money to get new users. So one part of our strategy is to take advantage of affiliate marketing and to send people to these sports books while we build our audience. And then as we're building our audience, we're doing branded partnerships, so branded content, fan engagement. Um, then down the road, we are doing a subscription business. And one of the things that this is more of a passion project for Kevin, but really giving that game report to, so we have a newsletter that we've just launched, um, and eventually we're going to have a game report where we're giving fans and betters the whole 360 of what the yeah. tools to make good bets, data, analytics, right. You know, Kevin, you can probably talk to that, I think, but that's part of yeah. the model. Just the data part of it. You know, intricate bettors look for advantages. They look for different uh, uh, data that, that goes into games. Partnering with uh, specific uh, athletes in, in certain fields is to get those experiences, to get those athletes to give. You know, what the computer does, you take the numbers, it, you put the uh, numbers into a computer, it spits out a result. Well, what that result doesn't tell you is that on the back-to-back, when you play 40-plus minutes, that's a real intangible that you have to pay attention in there. You don't have the same energy rate, you know. Uh, those two games are very different from energetically. So we're giving more of the athlete experience in those games mixed with the analytics and data that goes into these games and, and trying to get a different – it's going to be a different result when that, when that machine spits it out with these intangibles. So we're bringing those two worlds together. There is something that is very important in online betting when you're going to a DraftKings or any online sports book, and that's Mm in-game betting. That is huge. Mm -hmm. And I know if you're a new gambler, that is a bit intimidating. But if you really break it down, it really is. And it's almost like the stock market <laughs> where you're seeing, you know, the, as the game continues on, you're going to see the odds change. Can you can you take us through that and how to not make that as intimidating as it seems? I think the whole message here is to humify. 
and I'm going to try to answer your question as best as I can because I'm not an advocate better. And when you're an athlete and you 100% put your whole whole heart and everything into your into your craft, uh, I, I have it. I, I've never looked at betting. Um, I love the idea of helping the better educate, and I love uh, our platform to simplify things. I think when things are more simplified, you get confidence from them. Um, the in-game stuff is is a more of a um, stimulant to keep you um, stimulated throughout the whole game, you know, versus you taking a quarter off or, you know, going to the going to the bathroom. You know, when you're really into a game or you're really into something, you don't really want to move from it. And I think that those things with the in-game betting, those are the stimulants that have people excited. Those are the people that I think keep them in a revolving door to keep coming back to bet. But, again, when you have those challenges of understanding the wordplay in some of these bets, um, it makes those in-gaming uh, bets a little more difficult to understand. So I see, you know, we're, we're following the pattern that we don't see a lot. And I think that if we simplify those things, you're going to start to see more people betting in those in-games um, probables, and you're going to have uh, different results. And I see the volatility of that growing from people just having confidence in doing so. But I love the way DraftKings um, uh, have and FanDuel and all the other uh, in, uh, uh, platforms are, are making betting uh, fun. Uh, Jamie got some dope ways of, of bringing uh, just casual betting. You know, when the guy's sitting on a on a corner or, or, or kicking it, uh, or women or when or when women are together, guys, I know we bet push-ups all the time. We bet high fives. We bet <laughs> down and backs all the time. I, I think women probably bet wine and bath bombs or whatever, but. We want to simplify it and more humanify it if you could. You know, we want to have some fun parts to betting. You know what I'm saying? Think about that. Yeah, we can bet some bath bombs or some wine. Um, and that's just the human part of it. But I think that when you do stuff like that and you simplify it and you humanify it, if that's even a word, um, you make it – people, confidence grows from that. And those in-game intangibles, saying somebody's going to get 15 points in the quarter or he's going to score two touchdowns before halftime – all these stuff, all these things right here, they sound great and they sound like dreams. We bring them athletes in to simplify this and to make it fun. I think it makes them more volatile. So that's the hope in all of that. Well, KG, you when know, you're K- an old man like me, you start to bet Epsom salt and all that. So. <laughs> Epsom salt still works. Hey, listen, if I'm if I'm if I'm gonna put you on some, they got they got something new better than Epsom salt, and they call it bath bomb. They got a little <laughs> Epsom salt, got a little, little bit of everything. Check that out. Check that out. Check that out. I got, I got the water running as we're talking right now, KG. I'm going to jump in as soon as we're done with this interview. Uh, I want to follow. In there, right. uh, I, I'm going to do it, pal. Um, I want to talk more about these intangibles. So having someone like you on board is invaluable because I don't know what arena is the toughest arena to play in in the fourth quarter. I don't know that uh, certain teams just uh, just sort of cave in the fourth quarter. I don't know uh, what, what what guys are in great physical condition. Uh, and that is this something that that someone like you brings to the table for this in-game betting? Well, absolutely. I'm giving you the experience. Give, give me an ex- give, 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 give me an exa- give me an example, KG. Back when you were playing for the Celtics, okay, uh, some place that you know you were never ever going to lose, especially when it came to the fourth quarter, one arena or one team. So that doesn't exist, okay? That doesn't okay. exist because every every game is different, and what you did in this arena today, it could be a totally different game. You know, the strategy yep. and the players that they had, say like the Chicago Bulls. Never I would go back to Chicago. I love to play against Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. 
Dennis Rodman, my fa- uh, my family was there, my boys were there, my my everything from high school was there, my old coach players, all this other stuff. So I had a different energy when I came to Chicago. Now when Michael Jordan left and Pippen and all those guys, Rodman left, there was Ron Artest and there was and there was I don't I can't even name it. I can't even name anybody else. It, it, it wasn't the same. It was same going to Chicago, but that feeling of playing against Michael in the competition, it was a difference. And I came in with a different attitude and a different um, mindset. You know, I came in that you know these. I came in as a kid playing with that, and then when I got older and started uh, playing with a more more dominant force and what to expect, um, I was a different player. I say that to say that every game is different. Mm. But if I was to tell you that, okay, we play Monday, Tuesday. And Monday I had all the energy in the world to play. And then uh, we played, a, let's say we playing at home and then we have to travel to Chicago after the game. Well, I probably had a great game because I had the energy. I had the day before to prep. On the back-to-back, that's different. Yeah. Um, I just played the whole game, 40-some minutes. I'm super tired. Probably tonight I probably won't play 40 minutes. I'll probably play 30-something minutes. And um, the offense will probably go through a couple more guys versus me. Like, a, 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 a machine can't tell you that. A machine can't tell you in-game, um, in-game uh, intangibles that go on. A machine, you put, the, you put the numbers in, they mm-hmm. spin them back out, they tell you what it is. If I was to tell you that, yeah, that guy's not going to be that, you know, not like he was last night. I can see him having a good rhythm and shooting the ball, but he's not going to play that long to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Those are the tangibles I'm talking about. The in-game experiences that you can only get from the athlete and the athlete only. All right, KG, uh, congratulations. Uh, I know you don't want to talk about individual awards. Uh, team has always been number one for you, but going into the Basketball Hall of Fame, tell me what that meant to you. And were you as nervous given your acceptance speech as you were going up against the Lakers in game six or game number seven in 08 and 10? To answer the first part of the question, um, I think you don't get anywhere in a team sport without your teammates, without your coaches, without the organization. Um, to answer the second part of your question, um, I, I never really get nervous playing basketball. I get anxious. I have a bit of anxiety because I'm ready to go. Um, but I never get nervous. But when speaking from the heart and giving heartfelt um, speeches or comments, uh, I can get choked up so when they put you on a time limit, I was more worried about the time limit versus the speech. So when I got up there, I was already had a little anxiety about my speech fitting in the time. So I cut out a couple of things, but I had memorized it. I didn't want to read from a card. I want to speak from the heart. And I did so. And I felt like, uh, like the Hall of Fame, first off, was something that came out of, the, came out of like the blue. Like, you know, when you're playing in the backyard and you're playing in the park, and you, you know, you're five, four, three, two, one. You dream about hitting the last shot. You dream about winning, but the dream is never to be a Hall of Fame or to be sculpted into the walls of many that come through here. So I was more than overwhelmed with the with the with the achievement, and uh, to go in with Kobe and Timmy, they were just perfect company, dealing on their own personal um, uh, their own personal careers. And battling up against them, it just—it was just a culmination of a perfect time coming all together, ending perfectly. And then now I get to actually present Paul and in his enshrinement. So it's—it's—it's it's, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. The the game of basketball has been great to me. Um, I'm, I'm I'm forever indebted. And uh, yeah, the Hall of Fame was just cherries on top. If if I can if I can actually 
making a, a, a kind of a, you know, but uh, it was it was totally un- unexpected, and yeah. I, I didn't even think about it until it was over, and they presented it to me, and um, I'm just I'm just honored. Overwhelming would be the word, but I'm super honored. The hard work did pay off. <laughs> and it adds to all your accolades. Um, you know, you you also have an IMDb page now because you were in Uncut Gems. Um, you got a lot of good <laughs> reviews for that. Uh, what, what was the feedback from from uh, your fan base and from the movie industry? I have a table full of stuff that either looks like Uncut Gems or it's like kind of <laughs> memory king. Uncut Gems. My fans loved it. Uh, people in the industry thought I should do more acting. Um, I want to. I want to throw a question back to you guys because it's kind of you know, um, in getting the part, and they asked to, <laughs> for me to play myself. I looked at it and I was like, "Huh? Can you mess up playing yourself, like Mike? <laughs> if they had you come into a movie, could you could you play Mike? Could you mess up being Mike?" You haven't seen my life, man. I've already messed that up a couple of times. <laughs> I think it's easy to overthink playing yourself, though. <laughs> and, and I didn't. I, 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 you know what? I thought about the things that people don't know about me, and I brought that to it. You know, like in the sense of where I would be betting on something, or if I was, or if 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 uh, if, if you said something to me and I was interacting with you, or if we was in a jewelry store leveraging or negotiating on price, like all type of things, talked to me and spoke to me about the part. So it wasn't things that was kind of far fetched or things that I haven't experienced. They they actually felt quite close to home and uh it just made it for better better uh cinema a better better tv uh because adam is is playing with you the whole time he's he's messing with you every day i think i got a little more extra um in my dialogue my dialogues was was decent and then all of a sudden they saw that i can actually do the job and then my book of dialogue start to get a little more so i guess that's i guess that's a pat on the back for myself and a, um, I don't know. I guess an example of, of 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 me doing well in the movie. But I'm just glad it all it all worked out. A24 was cool to work with. Adam was super dope, dope to work with. All the guys, uh, Julia, uh, all the guys, uh, the Southie brothers, Julia Fox, everybody that was on there was class. It was it was one of the better experiences in my life. So, but um, more acting, I, I can't promise you that. You know, dealing with how TV is and all the weird stuff on TV. But if, if a role feels right, I'll, I'll consider it. The old analogy, when one window closes, another one opens. And you were very close to buying the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, along with the Minnesota Lynx. But eventually it was bought by Alex Rodriguez, his group, and Mark Lohr. How would things have changed, and and Jamie, I, I bring this in also, how do you both think things would have changed if you actually would have purchased the Minnesota Timberwolves instead of the the venture that you're in now? I will say that um, in any venture that you're doing, it takes two to tangle. And if Glenn Taylor doesn't have any kind of passion or any, um, any types of... Um, solution based and actually partnering then that's the only way something like that is going to happen I, I i was in control of what i was in control of and like everybody else put my bid in like everybody else and it just didn't go and it was unfortunate doesn't mean i can't necessarily uh look to to other endeavors or other um situations but minnesota was personal 
uh, it, it spoke to me. It felt like a right thing. And at the end of the day, uh, the parties didn't see it. So I, I can't be mad at somebody else's vision and what they want for 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 themselves or what they want for their for their for their property or their own. Um, I can only control what I can control. But I'm I'm super excited about this about this um, new endeavor with gaming society. Education is my when when I go back and I talk to young players and I speak to young female and male players, I always speak from a not just an experience, but I speak from an education point. Hmm. Like, I want you to walk away from talking to Kevin Garnett feeling like you learned something or feeling like you got one up or feel like you got a tip. And I feel like a lot of times that's my responsibility to this young generation. To, to You know, yeah, a, lot, a lot of uh, young people are looking for solution-based things, and I, and I consider myself just that. The gaming society is going to be something to where people cannot be better, but is going to actually gain confidence. You know, you know, it's funny that when you go to learn new stuff and it's a one-on-one and it's kind of on a on a very elementary level, watch when you go through our little uh, uh, university and you learn the wording and you learn what a push is and you learn something to, of, of some of the phrases. I learned a little phrase the other day that I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that. And the confidence I got off that to understand what's the conversation now actually gave me the, the ability to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to stay out of this one or, yeah, I'm going to bet on this one. So that's the hope in all of this. And, you know, I couldn't be excited about a better endeavor like the Gaming Society and helping people better themselves. You know, uh, betting is a responsibility. So, you know, helping people be more responsive towards something. So you know, that's, that's a good feed and all. So, you know, I probably missed out on one thing, but I'm gaining it by, by jumping in something else. So, Jamie and Kevin, uh, on your website, there's a uh, confidence level questionnaire, and there are five quick questions. Uh, one is, I got nothing. Sports might as well be a foreign language. <laughs> I bet on big games, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I know how to bet, but my wallet says otherwise. I like to bet regularly, but I stick to basics, or I'm a betting sharp. Which one of those five gets the most clicks? Actually, it's the third one, the one where people are like, it's like, average right they're just like not they know a little bit but they don't know too much to be dangerous and i think that's where and honestly just going off of what kevin was saying i feel like what we want to do is just have fun in sports and add another layer for you to have fun with your friends so when we're talking about like not to go back to the bath bombs and the wine but to me that is a fun thing like if i bet with you tonight that the the Lakers are going to win and can I send you a bottle of wine through Postmates if I lose like how do we make more peer-to-peer betting how do we create groups of social experiences so a lot of what we're talking about is betting but it's just it's really having fun it's gamification and and so that's why like Kevin and I are having a really good time like what I love about Kevin and honestly we couldn't have we got together in such a great way and 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 I feel like have such a similar vision, but he's so creative and it has so many great ideas. And so now we just want to execute and, and get the right, we're, we're really focused on building the dream team. We have an incredible group of people that are helping us build out the content. We have a newsletter that goes out every week right now. Um, and so it's just something that we're having a really good time with. And we think we see that it's an opportunity to really scale. And Jamie, you know a thing or two about content, right? Because you uh, co-founded the Players' Tribune with Derek Jeter back in the day. You were really the mastermind behind the strategy, the long-term vision of the business, uh, linking up with the industry, sales and marketing, and of course, um, overseeing athlete relations as well. I know that you're no longer doing that, but stepping back for a moment, given all the changes we've seen and how the world deals with mental health and how we acknowledge it in 
uh, for professional athletes and pro athletes are talking about it themselves. What what kind of I wonder what kind of first person account would you like to read that you haven't seen yet on on something like the Players Tribune? Well, for me, it's just about like I feel like we disrupted the industry in a way where we empowered athletes to have a voice at a time when like. There, there's no, there was no trust with the media. There wasn't a lot of opportunities for athletes to tell their stories in a safe place and have it still be authentic and not look like a press release. And so I just, I'm really proud. I think there's a lot, athletes every day talking about how they, how they really feel and do things that maybe they wouldn't have felt comfortable doing when you see Naomi and Simone most recently, um, I think the conversations that were started on the Players' Tribune have, have helped empower athletes to talk about mental health, to talk about things that are personal and authentic, and it's changing the game. It's, it's making sure there's mental health awareness and professionals in front offices and back offices and making sure that there's more opportunity for athletes to have what they need to be successful because people don't always think about that. So I'm, I'm proud of what we built. There's actually... Um, Netflix, we, we sold a show to Netflix um, right before I actually left Players Tribune. It was in partnership with these amazing directors, the Way Brothers and Propagate, a great production company. And it just launched last, last the other day. And they, they did the first, the first film is Malice at the Palace. And watching it, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. I never heard these athletes' perspectives. Like, why not? Why, why are we not hearing... You know, I think it's too important of a perspective to not hear when you're talking about sports and athletes. I, I know that, obviously, the NBA, I mean, we've got that down pat about betting and understanding the situation because you got KG in the corner. What about other sports? Are we talking about the NFL? We're talking about hockey? We're talking about baseball? Are we into those avenues as well? We're, we're working with athletes that fit our breath and our heartbeat and what we're talking about, but we are... And then, too, we're looking at the masters of the games. You know, we just don't want players. We want masters, people that were not necessarily, you know, successful, but had 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 really positive um, experiences in the league, dominated their positions. Um, we're looking for men and women. Um, not just that, but also with handicappers. Uh, handicappers that, you know, no betting, know how to articulate. Um, and, again, fitting our heartbeat and fitting who we are. You know, that's very important. But, yeah, we're working with a bunch of different athletes in different sports, and we want them to be masters of their craft in their sports, respectively. So, so Jamie and KG, uh, before I wrap up here, so many uh, athletes now are just immediately going into business ventures, sometimes before their playing days are over, like LeBron James uh, with Maverick Carter. Also, with, he's with the Fenway Sports Group. If you've got Jeter and A-Rod involved. Magic Johnson was probably the first. You've got Michael Jordan. And a lot of people would say, well, you made so much money, you should be sitting on a beach sipping a cocktail. But what is this drive that, uh, Jamie, you've probably seen it more from the outside and the inside than KG has. What is this drive? Is, is this the, a trend among the, uh, the, the current day professional athlete? And yeah, I think Kevin can absolutely speak more to this than I can. I would just say that I think it's, athletes are more than an athlete, and that's what, something LeBron and has always said too. But there's uh, so many layers, and I think that that's what's exciting. I mean, athletes retire; they have their whole life ahead of them. Athletes are retiring at an age where most executives are just getting to their next level, and there's so much. And that's what's so exciting about having opportunity in business and being creative and taking, you know. People like Kevin that have been driven their whole lives and are leaders and know how to be teammates are the best type of business people. 
um, and have passion and perspective that isn't in other businesses. So I think that's what athletes are seeing, and they're seeing opportunity. There's a lot of people investing right now, and I think, to me, it's really exciting. Not only that, to piggyback that, athletes have other other passions, too, that they want to actually explore. Athletes have uh, usually... The people you just named have a circle of or a team of people that um, not just uh, accumulate a bunch of interests, but a bunch of parallels in which fit some of those uh, passions and some of those other interests. So I just think it's, I think you see uh, athletes starting to grow outside of kind of the, the category of being an athlete. And those new invent, those new endeavors and those new partnerships are even more exciting to see. Uh, to see LeBron in movies and see how he's dominating uh, scripted and how he's in um, uh, documentaries and how he's just in content. You know, you, you're really seeing – the storytelling tells a lot about the person that's telling the story. So mm. I, I find that very interesting. And, um, yeah, I just think uh, athletes are just evolving. If, 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 yeah, if anything, they're evolving and evolving to these other things that – uh, in the beginning that we're not used to. So I what's, look forward to some of these new endeavors, too. What's a passion that uh, we're going to see you dabble in later on in, in one of your on-screen roles that where the story gravitates to that, Kevin? <laughs> um, betting. I'm not a better, so I'm going to take our own... Um, I'm going to take our own uh, university, and I'm going to go through the, the, the one, two, or however many steps to graduate the gaming, uh, the gaming society's... Uh, um, university of, of, of learning one-on-one betting. Um, I'm not a I'm not an avid better. You know, I'm one of those guys who I know how much I'm gonna spend when I go into a casino, and if I'm with friends, I'm not trying to show off. Or I know my budget, stuff like that. Like I'm a real conservative person, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if I was gonna play a part in a future movie, it'd be something of a handicapper, or you know, what I'm saying something like that. That'd be interesting. I, I have multiple interests, and right now. Um, this game of society and bettering myself in this is one of them. Very on brand. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. What a great conversation. We've been speaking with NBA Hall of Famer, the one and only Kevin Garnett, and Gaming Society founder Jamie Messer. You might know her as well as the co-founder of the Players' Tribune. Thank you so much again for joining us. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. All right, gang. Uh, you know what, Scarlett? Welcome to the number of the week. Now I'm, I'm frightened <laughs> for what this will bring. And you should be because Lynchy always gets this thing. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. That's why I don't play poker with the guy. He's, he reads me like a book. And what? <laughs> and what we do this a little bit like the price is right. Then sometimes we don't because, you know, you can whoever gets it closer wins. Okay. All right. Okay. And this one is a uh, pretty simple one. That means, uh, anyway. Uh, okay. That means when she will get it after 10 seconds. <laughs> We're going to start with Scarlett, and here's the thing. Uh, DraftKings, they agreed to buy Golden Nugget Online Gaming, uh, but days before that... And we're talking about, by the way, sports betting and mm-hmm. how it's going through big business. Barstool Sports backer Penn National Gaming agreed to buy Score Media and Gaming. 
for about what? Scarlet? Um, I'm going to say $25 million. Okay, Lynch, are you playing for a toaster and a washer and dryer? Uh... I like the game show host voice. <laughs> Come on, Lynch. I, I have Penn National Gaming stock. I know I saw this story. $2 billion. It's a big well, spread. I'm sorry, Scarlet. <laughs> it's 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 one point seventy four billion dollars. Now, if you're playing Price is Right rules, Lynchy went over. But oh. if we're playing closest to Lynchy's there for yeah, sure. Lynchy is there. So technically, Scarlett, you do come up on stage and you play Plinko. But uh... I, I'm shamed. I feel shamed. <laughs> no, don't be don't be ashamed. Many many a person has fallen to this uh, this quiz every week. The number of the week. It's nothing yeah, to be ashamed of. People. It's a pretty yeah, big amount you, to be to be off by. If it makes you feel any better, they flipped the pages on me one week, and they had me do the guessing part of it. And I, I needed therapy for like about two weeks. I didn't even come close. I put it out of my mind. What's that old thing in the movies? I put it in a box, threw it in an ocean, right? And we will never talk about that moment. Jason again. Kelly is listening to this and laughing, laughing out loud. <laughs> You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here every week at the same time. Plus, we're online wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Scarlett Fu on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. And I'm Mike Lynch, and frankly, Scarlett, we'll have you every week for number of the week. Because <laughs> you come you out find... looking so much better. <laughs> you can find me at Lynchy WCVB. I swear when you started, frankly, Scarlett, I thought they no, were going no. somewhere else. <laughs> no, no, no. On no. Twitter, I'm Michael Farr at Big Far Sports. Scarlett, you are one of the best business reporters in the business just don't it's ask awesome. me to guess numbers yeah don't go on the right. prices right yeah you're listening yeah. to bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio around the world <laughs> <laughs>